All right, good morning, church. Good to be with you. As you know, we're in the middle of a, well, almost coming to the end of a, a series that we're looking at detox. Uh, today we're looking at detoxing relationships. And uh, I want to ask you a question, what makes for the good life? That is a question that scientists actually were asking in 1938. And they began to track the health of 268 male students from Harvard University. Why they were only male, I don't know. But later, they added um, to the study 456 boys from, the, from some of the most deprived parts of inner city Boston, tracking them through the subsequent years. And those who are still alive continue to be engaged in this study. And over 2,000 of their children are now included. And each is asked every two years about their health, home life, work life. Their medical records are examined, and they are videoed talking about their deepest concerns. The conclusions of the study are fascinating. What makes for the good life? Is it fame? Is it fortune? Is it working harder? No. Close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect from life's discontents. They help to actually delay mental and physical decline and are better predictors of long and happy lives, more than social class or IQ or even genes. Researchers found a strong correlation between the men's flourishing lives and their relationships with their families, with their friends and their communities. The good life is built on good relationships. Relationships are one of the greatest gifts in life and also one of the greatest challenges in life. I'm sure you can resonate. Healthy relationships, they do. They bring joy and laughter and happiness, a sense of self-worth, reducing anxiety, better physical health. But unhealthy relationships can lead in the opposite direction. Today, we want to spend some time here. We want to spend some time to find out what good relationships are like, and specifically focusing on friendships. And we'll look at sort of you know, how sometimes friendships can be to toxic and how do we get out of those. But then we're going to focus on what it is to be a good friend. And we're going to look at what it is to be a good friend through the lens of the ultimate friend ever, that is Jesus. And finally, I just want to allow God to do what God does best through his Holy Spirit, who is the presence of Jesus just here in this place and giving him time um, just to speak into our lives, into something that can be quite sensitive um, for us. We've all had really good relationships and actually some bad ones as well. And so I want to give time um, for God to help us. But first of all, what is your relationship Wi-Fi like? I, um, I pulled together this, this little picture. Sorry, I'm not very good at uh, PowerPoint presentations. But I think it's a picture that I think most of us have in our lives. So we have this inner circle. These are your close relationships. It could be family, father, mother, siblings. It could be husband, wife. It could be your children. But it could also include really, really close friends, maybe your girlfriend or boyfriend as well. And this circle involves deep emotional bonds, high levels of trust, a strong sense of intimacy. You should feel the most comfortable at being vulnerable with people in this circle. 
Then we move out to this personal circle. These are friends and extended family. Here you have positive connections with people, but it's not as deep as those in your inner circle. This circle involves shared activities, interests, and a really good level of trust. It's more than just a transactional relationship. There is a real sense of community in this circle. There should be mutual support and understanding here. And then we move out to the outer circle. And this group encompasses much more of a broad range of interactions that we all have, including maybe colleagues and acquaintances. It's way more of a transactional relationship, often professional relationships. And it's oriented normally around tasks, and it's often around shared activities and common goals. And there's a lot less emotion in this circle, but it still is really important in how we integrate with society. So, how is your relationship Wi-Fi? Are you connected? Is the signal, are the signals strong? Which are the ones that potentially need some attention? Today, I want to focus a little less on the family kind of dynamics and more look into friendship. Not because the other things aren't important, but because I think friendship, particularly in our culture, needs some tender, loving care. And I'm going to be honest with you right up front, I don't think I have been a particularly good friend. I haven't been an awful friend, but this talk has challenged me, like I hope it might challenge you as well. I have a lot to learn, and I'm still on the journey of growing in this particular thing. And you know, if you're a guy here, I'm sure you can recognize that it is really hard for us to initiate friendship. I mean... Women are much better at this. Women have other uh, things and challenges within relationships, but I think men particularly struggle in this. But I'm hoping that today, as we look at what God's ideal is for our relationships, we're going to walk out of here with some hope for the future. So, with that in mind, why don't we turn to our passage for today? It is Ephesians 4. Verse 17, and we're going to read to chapter 5, verse 2. So it's quite a long passage, so please do turn. If you've got an app with you or a a hard copy Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read this together. Okay, it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Gentiles are basically non-Jewish or pagan worshippers. And though, and it's not actually lost on our context. It's just anyone that, that has, is living for themselves rather than for God. So you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in their futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. 
and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then chapter two, sorry, chapter five, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesus, Ephesus was the epicenter of uh, pagan worship for the Gentiles. And Paul here is talking to those Gentiles who have become followers of Jesus. In chapter 2 of the same letter, Paul explains how they were physically alive, but spiritually dead, purposeless, and enslaved to their own desires. Paul has, seems to have a lot to say here about identity, but then also about actions and behaviors. But what's really interesting here, he starts with identity, and that's really significant before moving to talk about behavior. Even the way Paul opens the passage, he actually identifies the readers as no longer Gentiles, even though so many of them were Gentiles. That is no longer their identity. He says, put off the old humanity, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. Instead, put on the new humanity, created to be like God in true righteousness, which means right relationship and holiness. God's actual design and intent for you. This identity is not achieved through hard work. It's not achieved through a self-detoxing program or even self-identifying. No, it was achieved for you by Jesus, the sinless one, perfection sacrificing himself and absorbing our wrongs, our selfish climbing to the top of the social ladder, the hurt that we cause, the pain we bring, whether knowingly or unknowingly. See, when you surrender your life to this Savior, this Jesus, he makes us new creations, and he brings us into a family, from orphans to loved sons and daughters. Knowing who you are, you see, shapes how you think. And those thoughts then change the way we behave. And those behaviors turn into character, and character turns into destiny. But you know, none of this is done in isolation. Our thinking, our actions, our behaviors are heavily influenced by others. You know that on average, we have around 5,000 social interactions in a year. And it's a lot more if maybe you work in a, a role which is to do with people a lot. And actually, if you're part of an active church like this, those numbers will go up even more. These social interactions increase in their influence based on how close those relationships are. 
you should, and this should make us all probably very conscious about who our closest relationships are because you are having a significant impact on those people and they are having a significant impact on you. You see, Paul doesn't talk about the Christian's new identity in Jesus alone. He knows that our actions and behavior play a huge part. They aren't mutually exclusive. They heavily affect people. And he says that since we aren't the old humanity anymore, he says, then take off, and then he's got this list. And um, he says, take off lies and put on truth. Take off anger for peace. Stop stealing stuff and get a good job and share and contribute into society. Take off gossip and start encouraging. Put off revenge and take up forgiveness. Put off promiscuity and take up self-control. And get rid of drunkenness and be filled by God's spirit. That's a big list, isn't it? You know, the Holy Spirit is, is active. He is the presence of Jesus. And he's not just here when we sing songs of worship. He's here when you look at a list on a projector. And I think even now, just kind of open yourself to what the Holy Spirit might be saying about maybe some of the grave clothes that you keep holding on to and the robes of righteousness that he has for you, as we heard earlier. What is it that you keep putting back on? He's called you into something so much bigger and better. Where are you picking up the old self? And where is he calling you to a new and living way? A way that leads to health and flourishing and and beautifully wholesome relationships. If you're a Christian here today, that is your new identity. He's calling you to live in it, not because um, he's a killjoy, but because he has deeper joy and satisfaction for you, and it's found in the new life. And if you're not a Christian here today, this isn't excluded from you. Jesus wants to call you to a new and living way, a new identity. And you know, you might actually be ready to make that commitment to Jesus to follow, and I want to give you some time later to do that. But even if you're feeling like, no, that's not for me right now, These personal and practical traits will lead to excellent and good friendships and relationships. And so why don't we look at what it is to be both a good friend and how do we seek out, actually more importantly, how do we seek out good friends? Why don't we start with seeking out good friends? What is a good friend? What are some of the things that good friends do? In my experience, and you know, apart from the obvious things like you know, I actually like to hang out with them, they make me laugh, etc., good friends um, remind me of who I really am. They pull me up on the behaviors that are foreign to my new identity in Jesus. My best friends seem to be able to help me align and line me back to God's beautiful design for me when I've lost my way a bit. And maybe you resonate with that as well. Maybe actually the better thing to do is look at what makes for bad friends. Because in some significant way, you become who you hang out with. I've noticed over the years, there are friends that love 
to eat yesterday's manna. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a story in the Old Testament where the Israelites were camped in the wilderness, and um, God rained down heavenly bread called manna. But he said to the Israelites, only pick up the manna for the day, because tomorrow I'm going to give you fresh manna. But you know what the Israelites did, a lot of them? They stored up some of the manna from the day to have later. And it got stale, and it got full of maggots. Some friends like to keep you where you are. They like to pull you back to who you were. They can't deal with your new maturity and your growth. So they pull you back because you can't, they can't move on, so why should you? Instead, you want friends that pull you up, that encourage you to grow and mature. As the wisdom literature of the Bible says in Proverbs 27:17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Secondly, be careful about people who flatter you. We all love to hear encouragement and praise, don't we? But when the rubber hits the road, where are those people? Proverbs 27:6 says, "Wounds from a friend can be trusted." But an enemy multiplies kisses. You need friends that tell you the truth, even though it's uncomfortable. If they're trustworthy, if they've got some skin in the game, if they're present with you during your struggles, then they're better friends than those that just tell you what your itching ears want to hear. Thirdly, good friendships involve receiving and giving where both parties feel enriched and sharpened and encouraged. How do you feel when you come away from time with a friend? Do you feel just emotionally slapped around, pulled down? Maybe feeling bad about yourself? Maybe feeling empty because you've just given of yourself and you've not really got anything back? If these are your regular experiences of friends, then I really want to encourage you that it's possibly time to seek some good friends. You can continue to help people like that, but if you keep doing it without good friends in your life, you cannot sustain that. And actually, those other friends would lead you down destructive ways. You know, you don't need many good friends like that. It's quality over quantity. Social media gives us this warped idea of how many friends you really need. Followers are not friends, okay? Your friends are there, are the ones that are there when all the makeup is, has come off. The ones that sit with you and you cry in front of them. It's face to face. Those are the friends we need. If you don't have these kind of friends and you want to go and heal the world, you're going to either burn out really fast or you're going to get swept into friendships that lead down different paths. And I'm sure you have in your mind right now some really good friends that have done you a lot of good. But let me tell you that um, the model, Jesus' model for relationships, his model is better than even your best friend's best moments. What is Jesus like as a friend? What is Jesus like with you? 
Well, we don't have to imagine too much. We can read all this in the Gospels. To the emotionally heated Peter, he called out a new identity. He said, you are a rock. You are dependable and you are faithful. I can't imagine anyone else around him would have pulled that out of him. And Jesus even reinforces it, even after Peter denied him three times. What about the, the disciple John? To John, he made him feel uniquely loved. To Mary Magdalene, he didn't look at her like everyone else seemed to. He lavished dignity on her, and he pulled her into the circle. He befriended and discipled Matthew, who everyone else in his community absolutely hated because of his job. He took a risk with Simon the Zealot. To Martha, he was vulnerable and open to criticism. And he wasn't even defensive, even though as the son of God, he could have pulled that card. He stuck up for Mary, Martha's sister, even though what she was doing was against the cultural norm for women of her day. He gave his time to Nicodemus, a very inconvenient Nicodemus didn't want to see Jesus in the daytime because he was scared of what it might do to his reputation. Jesus told the truth, but it never came across with condemnation. Instead, it came with his spirit, his relational presence, with empathy, with kindness, with integrity. His words were seasoned with salt. They edified and built up. He was genuinely interested in people. He never made someone feel insignificant. He knew how to actively listen and express interest in people. He was so generous with his time. Even though he was busier than any of us who proudly go around saying that, I'm really too busy, I've had a really long day. When you mess up, he doesn't ditch you. When everyone else ditches you, he doesn't. And he's not worried about how that affects his reputation. He doesn't gossip about you and then is nice to your face. He doesn't say one thing and then do another. He doesn't get his phone out of his pocket because he's received a notification. He looks straight into your eyes and you know he's listening to every single word that you say. He responds to your call for help. He is the friend who can actually empathize because he has gone through everything that you've gone through. And yet, you know what? He doesn't just tell you what you should do. He still selflessly listens first. But after he listens, he doesn't allow you to wallow in your sin and destructive behaviors. He pulls you up out of them. He gives you a vision for life. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Mate, you've got a plank in your eye and you're trying to pull the sawdust out of their eye. He says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and not many find it. He says, blessed is the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed is the pure in heart for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sounds like a good vision for life to me. And at the peak of his ministry, he didn't let the limelight get to him. He had the courage of his convictions, even when his friends wanted him to get it an easier way and a more successful way. He was unwavering in the face of hostility. He forgave when you hurt him, when you denied him, when you chose other things to satisfy the deepest things in your life instead of him. He forgave you. And he forgave his murderers as they were killing him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How do you become a good friend? Well, Paul's advice is you just you look at Jesus. You gaze on Jesus. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, Jesus even goes beyond the golden rule, his golden rule, which is do to others as you would have them do to you, which was in itself like revolutionary. That one statement changed the whole of civilization. And yet, he knows that we don't even know what we need. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> we don't even know what pe- we need people to do for us. So instead, he gives a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So must you love one another. Because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, if you've got Jesus, if we fully receive his friendship and his love, then the natural thing that will happen is you will end up being a really good friend. Often people seek out from their friends what only Jesus can give. No relationship on earth will ever satisfy the need for connection and belonging. When we get those things from our creator, when we're filled with supernatural power, wisdom, strength, and clarity, then we can bless others and be an awesome friend too. I want to just allow us some time to respond. You know, for so many of us, there are deep hurts that come from relationships most likely the deepest hurts come from the closest relationships. A father, a mother, maybe a child that's grown up, a sister, a brother, a teacher, a best friend who is no longer. The Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus, this incredible friend, healer, savior. And in my experience, the Holy Spirit can heal something like that in a moment, But often what he does is he starts you on a journey towards reconciliation or forgiveness, brings clarity to you for your next step, and empowers you with courage for what is ahead. And I want to give some time to that right now. So I wonder if we could stand. I wonder if the band can come back and just um, 
just help us. I wonder if we can also have some of our prayer team just ready at the prayer banner. I believe there are some, some things that God wants to do today. And I, I want to call you to be brave, to not just close yourself off to those, but just allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak in to your heart. For some of you, maybe you do need some prayer to take off the old self. Take off those grave clothes that you keep holding on to. Maybe it's something from that list. He's calling you to put on the new self. Maybe you need some prayer today for that. I believe that God wants to start some of us on the journey of forgiveness as well. I wonder if we can actually just close our eyes, just allow the Holy Spirit to speak now. some of you, forgiveness has just been an impossibility. It's too big. It's too, it's too great. It's a, it's a mountain. You know, there's a difference between scars and wounds. You can tell if something from someone's past is still a wound or it's become a scar because wounds still hurt when they're prodded. You avoid them. It's the name you cannot say. You know that those wounds can stop your relationships moving forward. Scars, on the other hand, are visible, but people can be proud of scars. I've had people open up to me about really sad, failed marriages or abuse in their past, bullying at school in a way that wasn't difficult for them to talk about anymore because they are on the other side of it. They've forgiven. They've done the hard work of processing it well. And they've refused to allow the past to define the future. Maybe it's forgiveness towards a friend who betrayed you, a partner who left you, or even worse. Maybe you've suffered abuse from someone who you should have been able to trust. It requires a huge amount of vulnerability. It requires a monumental level of surrender and trust in God. Because what you're doing is you're not letting that person off the hook. You're saying, God, you are the perfect judge. And so I am releasing the burden of judgment to you. You know, when you forgive, you may still see a lack of change in the part of the person you're forgiving. That is really hard. But what forgiveness does is it brings emotional healing. It releases you from the burden of resentment and bitterness and anger, which actually only you are holding on to. And it allows you to move on. You know, Jesus calls us to forgiveness. He actually commands it. But he forgave us. And he calls us to do it because he wants you to thrive. And you know, he proudly bears the scars of our freedom. And he longs for you to step into that as well. 
And so if this is for you, if that's for you, I wanna actually bravely ask you to come forward. We've got a trusted team of people that wanna pray with you and start you on this journey. So if, if you want prayer for, for anything, if it's forgiveness, maybe it's just you need some prayer to help rid yourself of the old self that you keep coming back to. For some of you, maybe it's reconciliation. You know, sometimes reconciliation isn't wise depending on the situations, particularly if there's abuse going on, but actually, you know, he's called us to a ministry of reconciliation between God and humankind. And for some of you, you have what seems like irreconcilable relationships in your life. God wants to do something today for you as well. So why don't you come forward now? This is a safe place for you to receive some prayer this morning. Come forward and just receive the Holy Spirit's warm embrace. Finally, I just want to ask if anyone here is ready to start a journey on a relationship with Jesus. You know, I mentioned earlier that you may be here and you know it's just time to put your trust in Him as your Savior, as your master, as a master of your life. And you may not have all the answers to all your questions yet, but you know you need to turn to Him. We've got some trusted friends here that I'd love to pray with you to help you on that journey as well. So when you come out now and respond to Him, let me just pray. Father, thank you for your burden of love towards us. Thank you that in Holy Trinity (laughs) there's been a forever love, a harmony and you wanted to share that with us. Thank you for your son Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are the epitome of what it is to be a trusted friend. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your forgiveness. And so God, I pray right now, I pray you'd start to do a work in our lives. Start us on a journey, I pray. And I wonder if there's some men here today, like me as well, and actually maybe your next step is just to initiate some friendship. Message someone that's done you good. (laughs) Go to the pub, go hit some balls at the driving range, whatever it is. That is going to help you. You know, I never regret spending time with a good friend. 